From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Schott, budget and appropriations reporter. And the roller coaster ride is finally over. And it's taken forever, but we have final appropriations. They came three months late. It was a grueling year by all accounts for both parties, but they've produced a massive package, including new coronavirus relief. But before we get to what's in the coronavirus aid package, Jen, let's spend a few minutes talking about the fact that we actually have this omnibus appropriations for fiscal 2021, which began last October 1st, late again, but it's here. Uh, We should say it took 5,593 pages of legislative text to get this whole thing together. And then they rammed it through both chambers of of Congress yesterday Uh, very quickly, with very little time to actually read what's in it, frustrating many lawmakers, but that's sometimes how you get things passed when you're facing a deadline. Jen, what do you make of it? Because you wrote about this uh, and explaining how this sort of, this omnibus just preserves a sort of shaky kind of detente between the two parties on spending priorities. Yeah, so Republicans and Democrats, especially during the last two years when Democrats gained control of the House, Republicans were in control of the Senate, and President Donald Trump remained in the Oval Office. After that 34-day shutdown that essentially started off the 116th Congress, they came to a lot of sort of very shaky, delicate compromises on the big policy provisions that have sort of been central to the Trump administration and some Republicans on Capitol Hill. And so that includes things like the border wall, right? When Trump campaigned for his first term, he said that he was going to build a massive wall on the U.S.-Mexico border to address what he viewed as immigration issues. He said during the campaign repeatedly that Mexico was going to pay for that wall, but of course that has not actually been the case. The U.S. government and essentially U.S. taxpayers are paying for that wall. And so there's been sort of this steady kind of flat funding level for that of $1.375 billion. Um, That's what's in this bill. Uh, One of the other big sort of immigration policy issues has been the number of individuals that Immigrations and Customs Enforcement can detain um, throughout the fiscal year. And so that is relatively even to the past few years. It goes down to about 34,000 in this bill. In the enacted provisions from the last fiscal year, it was in, I think, I believe, the mid-40s. And so that's a little bit lower. You're talking about the number of beds, the number of immigration beds. The number of individuals, yes, that ICE can detain. And so, you know, that was relatively flat. But the Trump administration, which, you know, has less than a month, um, they retained all of their sort of reprogramming authority. Um, So that's one of those issues where both sides can sort of say they won. Um, And kind of all the policy language that was in the previous omnibus spending package um, from last year kind of pretty much remained the same few tweaks here and there. Um, spending levels were slightly higher for defense and non-defense discretionary spending. You know, but this really kind of impacts the like very fragile relationship that Democrats and Republicans have had during the Trump administration. Yeah, we should say this is 
This allows for $1.4 trillion worth of discretionary spending for all federal agencies for the current fiscal year, which is basically flat funding, a very tiny fraction of an increase from the previous year. Uh, so this is very much a status quo kind of budget, uh, which is probably typical for a president's last term of office. Yes, exactly. There were a lot of provisions that House Democrats had in their re- original slate of appropriations bills. Um, because the way the House works, whichever party is in the majority over there tends to kind of write their dream bills, um, whether or not that's Republicans or Democrats. Um, and then when they have to conference with the Senate and work out final agreement with whoever's in the White House, um, those kind of you know merge into a slightly more bipartisan proposal. So in the original package, Democrats had no funding for the border wall. They eliminated the Trump administration's ability to reprogram funding between certain accounts uh, for the border wall. Um, and they had these provisions in there that would have placed you know, strict parameters on what local and state law enforcement agencies would need to do in order to get certain grants from the Department of Justice, particularly eliminating no-knock warrants in drug cases, banning chokeholds, and requiring training on use of force um, and intervention and use of force cases. That language is not in the final spending bill, um, but there is a new provision in this omnibus package that would encourage federal law enforcement agencies, not require, um, to report use of force incidents to a central database. Okay, Uh, but not much overall. And so um, Democrats didn't they were not able to enact any kind of grand changes that they were really hoping for as they had felt empowered, I think, before the election, sensing some public momentum on on their side, they thought, um, to push some of this through, but they really didn't. And um, the budget is is pretty much status quo. Yeah. And I think the election of Joe Biden had a lot to do with this. Democrats didn't feel the need to kind of dig in on trying to rein in some of the policies that the Trump administration has put forward, because they know that in less than a month, when President-elect Joe Biden is inaugurated on January 20th, that he, through executive actions, is just going to undo a lot of that anyway. And so, you know, there wasn't a need to get into any type of last minute big fights on this omnibus spending package. And of course, spending was tight anyway for the regular appropriations because this was the last year they had to live under these strict spending caps that were imposed a decade ago in an effort to rein in deficits back when people cared about reining in deficits. Uh, And starting next year, it's sort of free reign. We don't know how they're going to limit spending yet, Uh, but that's a new president will be coming in and, and uh, it'll, it'll really be open season here. We don't, we don't know who's going to control the Senate yet. So it's hard to predict. Um, But it's much more uncertain what the next budget's going to look like, but there'll be a lot more pressure to spend a lot more money uh, than happened this year. So that's the omnibus. That's the regular appropriations. But included in this is the stuff that everybody was, was so eager to hear about, which was the coronavirus relief. Uh, because this is really the first major infusion of new pandemic aid that we've seen since March, back when Congress approved that roughly $2 trillion aid package. Uh, And then since then, there's been months and months of endless partisan stalemate as the two sides could not agree on the size and shape 
of a pandemic aid package. There was just a huge political brawl over this. Uh, Democrats, remember, wanted more than $3 trillion last spring. Republicans said no way. They were shooting for no more than a trillion dollars. Mitch McConnell came out with something just before the election saying only a half a trillion dollars. So we end up with nearly $900 billion of new aid. That's a lot closer to what Republicans wanted than what Democrats wanted. But it's still a major package. It's one of the biggest relief packages Congress has ever passed. Not as big as the March one, but it's still awfully sizable. Any surprises in there for you, Jen? Not really. We've known the broad parameters of the COVID-19 relief package for a little over a week now, I believe. So we knew that it was going to include a new round of federal plus-ups to unemployment insurance. That is roughly $300 a week for 10 weeks. Um, We learned late last week, I believe, that it was also going to include a new round of direct payments to Americans. Uh, Those for individuals making less than $75,000 a year will be $600 with additional funding for, you know, spouses of $600 and children uh, of $600 um, for couples making less than $150,000 a year um, with this sort of same phase out from the March bill for that. Um, And a lot of money for vaccine distribution, which is something that we've heard for months from Democrats and Republicans that they really needed to provide additional aid for as these vaccines started rolling out in the last week or so. And so there's, you know, all of that funding in there. Um, But Democrats um, and some Republicans are saying this isn't the last pandemic aid bill that Congress needs to approve. They're saying that when Biden becomes president on January 20th, they expect him to send an emergency spending request to the Hill that lawmakers will then take up. Democrats are saying that needs to include additional money for state and local governments. And Republicans are saying that needs to include that liability shield that they have been really struggling to reach bipartisan agreement on for months. And so if you're worried that legislative infighting about congressional coronavirus relief is over, then I have very good news for you because we're going to get right back into this in less than a month. Uh, just to break down this, this aid package a little bit more, um, because there's been so many numbers thrown around, but really, you know, nearly $900 billion total in aid, but the bulk of the money, I mean, more than roughly $600 billion of it goes to just three things. I mean, more than a third of this package is for small business. It's, it's this paycheck protection program, um, these forgivable loans to small business to keep workers on the payroll. And then the other two major elements are what you said, the expanded unemployment benefits of $300 a week uh, and these, a new round of tax rebate checks of up to $600 per, per individual. Um, those three provisions are where all the big money is. And then there's a million other provisions in here, but the dollars start getting smaller compared to those. Um, but there is, there are, I mean, $82 billion for the schools to make schools safer uh, is, is not chump change. And there's $45 billion for the transportation industry that's been battered with nobody traveling anymore. Um, and of course, healthcare, because this does pump uh, roughly $30 billion into vaccine procurement and distribution. 
that's critical right now. We've got Americans dying at a rate of more than 3,000 a day. Um, there's a there's been a desperate yearning for more uh, healthcare funding, and this does this does give them a lot of that. Um, and then you know there's food aid. I mean we've got a lot more people going hungry now. Uh, food banks will tell you, and this is about 13 billion dollars in additional nutrition assistance, also some help for farmers, and then housing because. Rental assistance is huge with all these people not being able to pay their rent. Um, this does provide $25 billion in new aid uh, for rental assistance, as well as extending briefly the moratorium, a federal moratorium against evictions. Um, so there is some real relief here for folks, even if it's not as much as other people think they need. Of course, the Democrats' big disappointment in this package was no money for state and local governments. They do say that without that, uh, there's going to be a lot of layoffs, or there could be a lot of layoffs or furloughs of, of healthcare workers, police, fire, anything funded at the state and local level who face shortfalls. Republicans say some of the states actually are doing quite well and don't need this help, and they don't want to bail out poorly managed states. So it's been a huge fight. And both parties agreed to give up on state and local aid to get this compromise through. And then Republicans had to give up on their top priority, which was liability protection for employers um, to prevent the risk of pandemic-related lawsuits as people come back to work and might still get sick. Um, but Democrats really feared that was taking away workers' rights uh, and they, they needed to preserve a recourse to the courts. That's a huge battle, and both of these issues, Jen, are sure to come back as early as next month as, as talk begins anew on, on another round of this coronavirus aid because we are in the throes of, a, of, of this pandemic now. Uh, it's really at a peak, and, and pressure to do more, I think, is not going to go away anytime soon. Right, and I think one possible solution for Republicans and Democrats working out what has been very tense dialogue about this liability protection that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Texas GOP Senator John Cornyn have been pushing for for months is that when the Biden administration comes in, they will have control over the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. And that is the sort of federal agency that regulates workplace safety. And one of the big concerns that Democrats have had while the Trump administration has remained in power is that that agency hasn't really given strong sort of enforceable guidelines or requirements to employers in terms of how they have to protect their employees during this pandemic. And so there is a possible avenue here um, with the Biden administration coming in um, where, you know, Democrats could potentially agree to some softer language than what we've seen from Senate Republicans on liability protection, knowing that the Biden administration's OSHA agency is going to sort of ramp up their protection of workers um, as this pandemic sort of continues into the spring and summer um, and hopefully sort of starts disappearing in late summer, early fall, um, as all these vaccines get distributed to people who want them. Yeah. And I should just point out to, uh, in terms of the financing of this package, we should say this is mostly borrowed money. This is emergency spending. 
it will increase the deficit by how much we don't know yet. There are some offsets in this package because remember they they clawed back some of the unspent money from the March aid package, uh, particularly for Federal Reserve lending programs and for some of the paycheck protection programs, small business money that wasn't used last time. Um, but I'm not sure it was money that wasn't going to be spent anyway. So I don't think the Congressional Budget Office is going to count that as a real offset. And I ha- so we're looking at another spike in the deficit because of this package, which is nearly $900 billion, maybe a little less in terms of impact of the deficit, a little less than $900 billion, but but a significant hit to the deficit uh, yet again. Yeah, definitely a lot of deficit spending taking place. Um, but, you know, this is a massive healthcare and economic crisis. We've seen unemployment numbers uh, continue to sort of tick up as states, you know, implement various stay-at-home orders and mask mandates throughout the country as the infection rate increases. And, I mean, the death toll and infection rate is really just sort of staggering and really kind of hard to, you know, wrap your mind around. I mean, more than 3,000 Americans are dying every day of this. Um, and we continue to see spikes throughout the country as people just get really, really wary of, the, you know, sitting home you know, sometimes with family or sometimes by yourself all the time. And so right. uh, it seems like, you know, this is going to be something that sticks around for the next few months, but hopefully begins to fade out after that. So I think there will be a lot of pressure starting next year to spend a lot more money on this and other priorities as the new administration comes in. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.